Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. When we left off last time, Paul had just penned the words of one of the greatest pieces of prose poetry the world has ever seen. Looking for a solution to the perversion that had taken hold of the church in Corinth, he contemplated the characteristics that he'd experienced in Jesus. That Jesus, he was patient and kind. That he doesn't envy or boast, isn't proud, rude, self-seeking, or easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs, takes no pleasure in evil, but he rejoices in the truth. He bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. Most importantly, he never fails, ever. And from those characteristics, the formula was formed. Loving people with a love that doesn't depend on them loving us back. But that formula would be tested in Paul's life almost immediately. I wanna talk about that in a message we're calling The Decision. So once he'd provided the formula for the perversion in the church, he made a decision. And it was difficult. He had to deal with some doctrine that had been distorted. And he felt a certain sense of urgency, thinking his life may quickly be coming to an end with many of the people who Solanus had favored being murdered or thrown in jail. Paul addressed a group of church people who'd begun teaching that the Christian blessing was only for this life. They were teaching that there was no life after death. So Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Jesus died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Then Paul gives this list of people who'd seen Jesus and interacted with him after his resurrection, like hundreds of them. And Paul says, most of these dudes are still alive, like Don't just take my word for it. Go ask them for yourselves. And while you're at it, tell me this. Since we preached that Jesus rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection from the dead? This wasn't a new belief he was confronting. This was an old belief. It was the belief of a religious sect called the Sadducees who denied the resurrection of the dead, the existence of spirits, and the use of oral traditions. They emphasized the acceptance of only the written law. They basically were teaching the total opposite to what Paul had been teaching. So again, Paul is speaking with an urgency. He's asking, why are you trying to do what's always been done? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. And if our hope in Jesus is only for this life, we should be pitied more than anyone else on earth. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who've died. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to him, they'll be raised when he comes back. After that, the end is gonna come. And then he'll turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Jesus must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then Paul, he gets practical, even a little personal. He says, and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, my dear brothers and sisters, I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Jesus has done in you. What value was there in fighting wild beasts and those people of Ephesus if there'll be no resurrection from the dead? He's like, y'all, I've been hammered for this for years because of this message. I mean, I've even contemplated wanting to die rather than press on fearful that I'll be put under enough pressure that I would renounce Jesus. But in spite of that fear, Paul presses on because the promise of resurrection eliminates the fear of the persecution he was facing right then. So even though Jesus gave his life and Paul was willing to give his life, these church people are looking to go back to these old Sadducee ways. So Paul says, if there's no resurrection, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company, it corrupts good character. Think carefully about what's right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who died will be raised to live forever. And those of us who are living, we're gonna be transformed. You know, I actually like how it's written in the King James Version. It says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Then he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. And friends, after 18 weeks of this series, that last scripture has struck me. Who gather in their home for church meetings. And it's brought me to a decision it was difficult, but I felt God speaking to me with an urgency, asking, why are you trying to do what's always been done? 
He said, I've been showing you the formula for the past four months throughout this entire series over and over again. I've shown you examples of this early movement of Jesus people who changed the world, who changed history forever by making their homes a sacred space by gathering in their homes for church meetings, by having their family and their friends in their homes to bring the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus to them. He said depression is up, anger is up, substance abuse is up, domestic abuse, child abuse, they're up. Because rather than taking this opportunity to turn their homes into a sacred space, they've shifted the responsibility for the spiritual atmosphere, climate, and destiny of their homes onto everyone other than themselves. He said, why are you trying to do what's always been done and get back into a building that allows people to hide their faults and flaws and skirt the responsibility of determining that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, it's not because you haven't been able to get into God's house. It's because God hasn't been able to get into your house. He said, so before I can release you to get back into a building that many of you have made the focus of your worship and spiritual identity and honestly have become codependent upon, I need you to make your homes a sacred space because more difficulty is coming. More oppression and more persecution are coming. So you better get your house in order because some of you spiritually you're about to die. If you don't get your house in order, you will not recover. So as you listen to what the Lord's been speaking to me, I want you to understand, we aren't not in the building because we're afraid or because we're lazy or because we don't love church. It's hard not being in the building. Giving is down. We've had four staff members resign in the midst of this. And we miss seeing you every week. We miss the singing and I miss the stage. We miss the high fives and the hugs, the Jordans and the jokes. But it's pushing us to do what's best for you. It's pushing us to push you into creating a sacred space, a spiritual environment that'll see God, not me, fix your marriages and your finances and your relationship with your kids and it'll ultimately break the codependent relationship some of you have with a church building rather than a relationship that's dependent on God. So today I'm speaking with an urgency and I'm using Paul's formula. I'm loving you with a love that doesn't depend on you loving me back. And I know this formula is gonna be tested almost immediately. Some of you are gonna be determined to do what you've always done. So you're gonna go somewhere else to get into their building. I hate that. And I hate that because I love you. And I never want people to leave our church, but I feel pressed by God to tell you, we aren't gonna come back to any gatherings in our De Pere building until at least January. And we're doing that because there is a life after this one. And we're trying to get you onto the right side of that instead of back into a building. And because we're standing firm in the fact that we're not here to build a church. We're here to build the kingdom. You know, the key to building the kingdom is getting people into the kingdom. It's what we in the church world call salvation. We wanna give you the opportunity to do that. We wanna give you the opportunity to get 
into the kingdom so the kingdom can be built in your life. It's not a complicated process. In the church world, we call it getting saved. We wanna give you the opportunity to get saved, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Here's how we do that. In, in just a minute, I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer and then I'm gonna pause. And when I pause, if you repeat those words, you mean them in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. You will enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. If you submit yourself to that, we'll change everything. So if you're watching this and you say, Sean, I am a sinner. I want to be saved. I want to come into God's kingdom. Would you say this after me? Would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you change me, make me different, make me new, be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, it is the most important, the greatest, most fantastic decision you've ever made in your life, and your life will never be the same. We wanna walk this out with you. So if you've prayed that, would you do us the honor of reaching out to us so that we can walk this journey with you? But we're not done. Maybe you're watching this and you're a Jesus guy or you're a Jesus girl. And you're like, bro, I'm going to heaven. But something about this message, it prompted you when I said something about making your home a sacred space. I think some of you, you've been just treading water. You've been just biding time. You've been just waiting for this building to open back up because you thought maybe it would be next week or maybe it would be in two weeks. You haven't taken the opportunity to make your home a sacred space, but you know that you need to do that. You know, for 15 years, I took my marriage for granted. For 15 years, I, I took Sonny absolutely for granted. I acted like she would always be there. Until one day I came home and she was packing everything that she owned in her father's pickup truck and took my kids and drove down the road to Florida, left me on the driveway crying, bawling. I thought that I would never recover. But can I tell you, friend, in the four months that Sonny and I were separated, everything broke, everything changed. For the last decade, I've had a beautiful marriage. I don't say that to brag, I just say that to brag on Jesus. Had we not taken that break, I promise you, we wouldn't be the people who we are today. And so can I tell you that in this pause that God has us on, we, we can either be defeated or we can move forward. And the way that we move forward is by making our homes a sacred space. And so if you've not done that, I wanna pray for you. God, thank you for my friends who are on here. God, I pray that you'd be with them, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd give them courage, that you'd make our homes a sacred space. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.